Greetings, reader fans. Welcome to episode 12 of Data Slate, Lave Radio's book review show. I'm your host, Station Commander Alan Stroud, and along with my co-host, John Richardson, we'll be talking about all the latest happenings in science fiction and fantasy before bringing you our reading recommendations. So how are you doing, John? I'm all right, thank you. I'm uh, very well exhausted in the search for a bridge, but otherwise, good. Any particular type of bridge? A starship bridge. So, it's, oh. uh, yeah, it's basically, I'm looking for another house so I can actually build a bridge in the house. I am particularly sad like that. So, yes, it'll be a gaming room, really. You know, man cave. That's what, <laughs> <laughs> that's what it is. Which, which is fine. <laughs> it let's, is. Let's that's face true. it. These days, we need a space to be able to house all our junk, particularly if we have been collecting role-playing games, science fiction books, board games, computer games, all these malarkeys, it's getting to the stage where you, it's know, you kind of need somewhere. It's, it's a haven. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, I guess 10 or 15 years ago, people talked about going to the garage or what have you. And right, now it's, yeah. I'm off to the bridge. <laughs> <laughs> See you next year. <laughs> yeah. Warp speed. Uh, I, I think I'm off to the bridge. That sounds exciting. Yes, but not half as exciting as what you've been up to, is it? Uh, well, you've kind of hyped me now. I've had I've, I've had a fair couple of weeks, to be honest. We've had a week away, and you know it's given us a bit of time to catch up on some reading, which I've caught up on some reading. Things that have been going on. So I've just literally this evening we're recording, and I have flown back from Bulgaria and got home because there was a bit of a trouble on the motorway. But I got home four hours ago, so I'm pretty tired. I was out in Bulgaria to talk to Julian Gollop and the guys at Snapshot Games, who I am writing the official novel for their forthcoming release, Chaos Reborn, which at the moment people can get on Steam Early Access and is a wizard combat game where it's like chess, but you summon all sorts of creatures and cast all sorts of spells. So yeah, it's a turn-based multiplayer wizard combat game, which uh, is great fun. All the original Lave Radio team, when we were doing the show um, a year or so ago, when it appeared on Kickstarter, we all backed it. We got Julian onto the show to talk to him about it, talk to him about his old games. Of course, he's well known for Laser Squad, UFO. People may know the board game and the computer game XCOM. Of course, Julian designed the original, which was UFO, and was then more recently licensed to Firaxis. But uh, he's gone back to his first game, which is Chaos, and he's he's, he's producing that. So I I was in the studio. I got a sneak peek of all the new stuff. It was great fun. We had a lovely meal out and around Sofia. Very quick focus trip to sort of lay the groundwork. Sounds very welcoming. Yeah, yeah, they were brilliant. Very, very warm and very happy to have me involved to share ideas you know sit there and and see it as the magic's happening you know and and maybe make a suggestion or two and you know that just makes you all the more enthusiastic about doing it doesn't it really when you get that sort of reaction absolutely and it was lovely as well to be able to talk to the programming team and the, Mm. the art the concept artist and explain to them what I'm doing with the fiction. And of course, they get to the end of that, and they're asking me questions about that, and they're asking me about, how does this fit to this? What does this work with this? Could you use this word? You know, it was lovely, Mm -hmm. really lovely. So really enjoyed myself. Oh, brilliant. And came home, as I say, exhausted. But prior to that, what other things have I done? Well, I've written a lot, which I'll talk about in a little bit. 
on a variety of different things and finished with teaching at the moment. So we're just doing all the marking, just getting all the marking away <laughs> so the students can get their grades. And catching up with a few books for review as well, which yeah. is is good. I believe the Sojourn, which we reviewed the other week, uh, my review's just gone up on SF Book. And it should be the case by the time you're hearing this podcast, Elite Lave Revolution is back on Amazon. Yay! I can do a squeak. I'm not going to do a squeak. I'll just do a yay. Yay! <laughs> it's been off for two months. It's now back on Amazon. We have a new edition up. It has 11,000 words more than the previous edition. So the second edition is 11,000 words longer. Good Lord. Uh, Two appendices have been added to the story. That's a lot of words you've just added. (laughs) (laughs) Well, as part of, and this is one of the things that I, I was a little bit fortunate in. When you write an official piece of Elite Dangerous Fiction, that book has to go to Frontier Developments and they have to read it and approve it and sign it off. As part of my Kickstarter, I had produced a set of appendices as backer rewards. Four of those appendices were not included in the original book in the first edition. Two of those appendices have now been included in the second edition. That's where those extra bits have come from. We've included the Walden writings, which is basically it's a selection of archive material of speeches and sort of journal entries that Dr. Hans Walden wrote. And we've also included the missing chapter, which is sort of an alternative perspective narrative that fits into a particular part of the story. So I won't spoil it for anybody. I will let you go and read it and see what you think. And that should be up on Amazon now, should be available for people, and we'll obviously we'll put links up underneath the show when it's available for download. Brilliant. Sounds really good. We'll move into the news. So this sort of ties in with some of the stuff I've been up to, and I know I shared this to you the other week. You asked me a little bit about writing competitions, yes. and I sent you around a nice long list of them. You did indeed. There's tons of them. <laughs> <laughs> Mind blown. <laughs> So the nice thing about science fiction and fantasy is that, to be honest, there are quite a lot of writing competitions. You can usually find things. And generally, I mean, my experience of writing competitions is not great in that, you know, I've not done necessarily very well. You know, there's no plaques or uh, trophies on the shelf, but you can usually find, uh, you know, a horror competition, a fantasy competition, a science fiction competition. And you can also submit into the more general competitions. Writing Magazine is always very good. The Writers Forum used to be very good. There are some great competitions out there. Now, being a genre writer, you know, if you submit to a general fiction competition, you kind of have to make sure that you've got a particular angle. But, you know, it's well worth it. And it's a good thing with your writing to gauge yourself. And I certainly felt with the fact that I finished my teaching and my situation at the moment is starting to to gear more into preparation for LaveCon, but at least I'm not quite as pressured for having to be places at particular times. So I decided, you know what, this is probably time to start gauging myself again and measuring where I'm at with my writing. So I wrote a few short stories and chucked into a few things. I've got a, a few links for people. So if you're interested in taking a look at a wide selection of competitions, you can find a good selection over at Writer's Reign. Now, this is www.writersreign.co.uk 
slash short hyphen story hyphen competitions dot html and it gives you a good list of all the ones that are due up soon and going on currently i noticed that the entry for these is uh, remarkably cheap as well you know you don't have to pay too much a couple of quid really for some of them you know to enter into the competition some are free yeah, i think it's well worth it because some have prizes obviously and have to fund the prizes yeah, I, you know, you you tend to find with a few of them that they are using the entries for each year to fund the prizes. Mm-hmm. With some of them, they're sponsored. With some of them, they've got some sort of magazine circulation, so it kind of helps them, you know, get the stuff there and so on and so forth. But they're also, with a few, there are options for crits. You've got things like Dark Tales, which has just gone off because I think it's closed for this month, but it'll be up again for next month. Dark Tales is is horror. And what they will do is, if you submit, you can submit just a, a story or you can submit for a story and a crit. And they'll then send you a crit of how they feel, you know, the story's done. And there's a few that are like that, which is really useful. It, and it's yeah. good for a writer to gauge themselves, you know, which I think is is good. The one that I did want to mention that's not on that list is Elite Dangerous Executive Producer Michael Brooks also runs a competition. Over on his blog, thecultofme.blogspot.co.uk, he runs a monthly 500-word competition. Now, if you're just starting out in writing, 500 words is not too much of a deal, as it were. You know, it's fairly simple to sort of put together a 500-word piece and chuck it in and see what happens and the top prize is a 50 quid amazon voucher then it's 20 quid for the second prize 10 pounds for the third Uh, and what he does to help you is he'll put an image up and that image you have to write your story inspired by that image so gives you a something to sort of train yourself to every month so very very useful very interesting I haven't had a chance to submit on it for quite some time. I did put something in when he first started it, and uh, it was just a, a small piece from another piece of fiction I was working on. But I've now managed to, in the June version, there was a competition with a very ornately carved door, so I've, I've chucked in a, a story for it, and we'll see, see what happens. The inspired by thing with a picture was something that I, I did a few years ago as well and I always mm. find that to be really useful because you know you can sit there and have a theme on something but when you actually look at a picture of something that gives you so much more than just a couple of words theme so you find yourself wanting to embed this whole picture into the narrative of the story somehow it's brilliant I love that whole idea it is really good for beginners I think because then you sort of you know You've got something more to aim for. And 500 words, I mean, I've done a, I can't remember which competition it was, but they wanted 666 words. (laughs) (laughs) Competition. Uh (laughs) And I did that, and uh, that was a bit of a challenge, you know, Mm. just getting it dead on 666 without losing any of the flavor of what you wanted to get across. So I'd imagine 500, despite the fact it's not very many words, to actually put your start, middle, and end in 500 words, you know, it can be quite hard, I think. A-level creative writers, when they go into their exams, they have to write a 300-word story to write a creative piece in an exam because most of the time, if you're writing a creative piece, what you want to do is write it and then edit it and edit it and edit it and, you know, then be happy with it. Yeah. So if you go into a two- or three-hour exam writing a creative piece of any significant length, it's actually quite tricky so it's much better to give them 300 words and sort of allow them to tweak 
So with mm. this, I like the idea of this because it does allow with 500 words, you've got that opportunity. And as you say, it, you know, you do you you're sort of tweaking and, and fixing and nudging and, you know, and altering. Michael does say it's up to 500 words, so you can be a bit under if you want to. Yeah, I was 500, but, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I, I think the last word I added was manicured. I had manicured nails instead of just nails. And, you know, so that was <laughs> there you go. I went, oh, I could put manicured in. So the thing is, is that what it does do with that small word limit, it does, as you said, it trains you into trying to get your whole structure into that. And of course, with short stories, you can get away with a bit. You can cliffhanger a lot easier in a short story by using it as a punchline. You could do a few other things. You can contrive a little bit more. In 500 words, they're not expecting a character to be really well sketched out. They're expecting you to have to make choices of what you're going to sacrifice. Maybe you've got to sacrifice a bit of plot. Maybe you've got to sacrifice a bit of you know, scene setting. Maybe you have to sacrifice some character to try and get into the limit. So, yeah, I think it's a really interesting exercise. And the nice thing is Michael runs this every month. And, of course, you can chuck in 500 words. If you don't get anywhere, it doesn't matter. If you do, it's a lovely confidence boost. Same with other competitions. The ones from the list on Writer's Reign, I'll just confess. Down this list, you'll see there is the British Fantasy Society short story competition. Uh, I finished a story for that called Those Who Judge, and that is in there. There is the V.S. Pritchard Memorial Prize, which I did a story called Lost at the Wedding, which actually I wrote the first hundred and something words of it about seven or eight years ago. I just I was at a, a birthday party, actually. I was at a, a friend of a friend's birthday party, and I sat at the table and kind of that little bit bored when you don't know anybody. So I sat and, and wrote about a hundred words and then forgot about it. Wait a minute. I sort of drifted through that part of the conversation. So basically you were at a party and you yeah. wrote a story. <laughs> well, I didn't know anyone. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was just, I was just sitting, I had my phone there and, you know, and I had, had a, a word process. It was only a hundred words. I only just jotted down a hundred words. Yeah, um, well, you know, no one's going to come up to you and interrupt you if you're busy furiously typing away or writing away or anything, was, are they? Was, it wasn't furiously. It was, you know, it was like, like 20, 30 minutes. I was just, you know, I was a bit, I was a bit bored. <laughs> mm, a bit bored, but looking very preoccupied. <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah. So anyway, so I, I, I did a little bit of that. And then recovered it the other day and looked at it and went you know what i've got an idea for that i'm sure the thing i turned it into is nothing like what i thought it was going to be in the first place but yeah. managed to chuck that together and get that into the vs pritchard prize now what i was saying earlier about submitting genre fiction into a more general competition if you look at the vs pritchard memorial prize it's run by the royal society of literature and i've chucked in a piece of fantasy you just oh. <laughs> Do you think that it's a little bit um, snooty? Is that what you're saying? I just think they're looking for something else, you know. But I looked at right. some of the previous winners and thought, actually, I might be in with a shot. And I wrote something that was sort of a bit punchy. It's quite shocking as a story. It's about a woman who gets bored at a wedding. Something jabs at her leg under the table. She pulls the table cover back, expecting it to be a little kid playing under the table or something. Turns out it's a, a two-foot-tall fairy with a penknife who blackmails her into stealing the wedding ring of the husband at the wedding. She goes to talk to the husband, who she doesn't know because she's the plus one, so she doesn't really know people. So anyway, she goes to talk to this husband. He shows her the wedding ring, and this fairy emerges 
grabs hold of his hand, bites his finger off, and flies out of the hall. And that's the story. Yeah, that's pretty good, actually. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, they might be looking for something different, but it's a fantasy story that punches you in the face. And yeah. I thought, you know what? I'll chuck it in. And of course, yeah, as I say, I probably won't get anywhere with it, but if I don't, then I'll chuck it in something else. You know? Yeah, but so, you had fun, though. So. Made me chuckle. I don't, I don't know where the idea came from. It just, um, <laughs> oh, it's brilliant. No, so that one... I've chucked in four. I've put some stuff in on Michael's. There's some stuff in on the British Fantasy Society short story competition. There are one or two others I'm looking at at the moment. I think there is a dystopian contest that's due up somewhere in the middle of July. It says the 1st of July, but I think it's actually due up on the 15th. But anyway, so yeah, worth checking in on short story competitions. Uh, any writer that's aspiring, have a go. You know, you've got nothing to lose. And speaking of that, so we should also mention that our esteemed colleague of Lave Radio, Grant Walcott, runs the Art of the Drabble, the Abracadrabble, every week, which he collates 100-word stories from the Elite Forums and then reads them out live on the show on Fridays at 7 o'clock. So there's a, a vast collection of 100-word stories, and you know they're, they're now getting known by the term Drabble. These days, 100-word story is known as a drabble. A drabble. And he's got this vast collection of them. They do tend to be elite-themed. You know, they're, they're themed along the lines of Elite Dangerous. And the idea of the abracadrabble thread is that whoever wins each week suggests the new topic for the next week. So, yeah, and anyone on the forum, on the Elite Dangerous forum, can go along and vote for the one that they like best. So they've continued that. They've done loads and loads of them, and it's kept on going. It's one of the most popular threads of the entire forum. They're also going to do this at LaveCon too, so they're going to have a, a live abracadrabble readout show at LaveCon. They're going to be asking people to write little stories, which would be great mm-hmm. fun. So, yeah, it would. You know, yeah. Really good chance for people to just have a go, just see see about writing something small and see what, what works. See what happens. Yeah. Indeed. Goody, good, good. Wow. So the last thing we have on news for this week, and it's all, you know, a little bit general this week. We're not really going into specifics. The last thing we've got is, do you know about Kindle Worlds? Now then, I didn't, and you showed me, and it was brilliant. So I'm going to let you explain it all, but I was blown away at the fact that you could actually do this. Amazon have launched this. I think they launched this in the middle of 2013. What they've done is they have bought licenses or bought the ability for people to write stories in particular popular franchises. Now, these are not necessarily all the ones you've heard of, but there's a good selection. And you can go and find Kindle Worlds, which the URL is kindleworlds.amazon.com slash worlds, and you can find out all about what you're able to write in. And essentially, they're trying to, to sort of encourage I guess encourage fan fiction, but also then start to turn that fan fiction towards becoming more accessible fiction, fiction that people you know want to read that aren't necessarily just fans of, of this particular you know thing. But it does sort of support and breed community out of uh, out of all these. So it's you know it's a great opportunity. I, I look through and there's a few on here I really don't know, but there's a few I do. Yeah. I mean, the ones that I was looking at were The 100, because I watched that on TV yeah. at the moment. So it'll be interesting to see some of those. Atlantis, The Origin Mystery, which is, of course, a book we reviewed 
uh, a few weeks yeah. ago, which is part of a series. Uh, what else that might be surprising? Veronica Mars, The Vampire Diaries. There was another one. There was one that you had, wasn't there? Well, there's two or three I'd mentioned. Yeah. The World of Kurt Vonnegut, which That's right. you know, an amazing science fiction writer. And oh, there yes. is an opportunity there to write something related to, you know, to Kurt Vonnegut's work. Then you've got G.I. Joe. Oh. <laughs> now, you see, I'm living in the UK, so we didn't call it G.I. Joe. We called it Action Force. And there were two brands of Action Force. There was the Action Force before it was all taken over by Hasbro. And there was the Action Force afterwards. And, and I was a child in the middle of that. And, and I loved them both. I dearly loved the stuff that was done by Palatoy. And I loved all the later stuff. And they had accompanying comics. Now, the Action Force of the later stuff, the comics were done by Marvel. They had their own UK run of comics. I collected quite a few of them. And now there's the chance to write fiction in that universe yeah so it's an opportunity certainly for aspiring writers to really get involved in some of these anytime you're writing in someone else's world a little bit of it is about you getting your name out there i think that's important and there are you know there are a few others there are some you know you might have heard of so you're going to write something for kindle worlds john what um what specifically would you write for maybe i could do something for the 100 for instance I don't know how I would do it. I wouldn't probably involve the main characters, but I would use, obviously, the world and the setting because the 100 takes... It's a post-apocalyptic scenario, (laughs) which we all know and love, yeah? Um, Yeah, yeah. Basically, it's a story of... uh, Well, it's a story of 100 people who were in orbit on ostensibly unpopulated planet, which turned out to be populated. That's the backdrop of it, anyway. So... But there are these pockets of civilization around. And I always find that whilst you've got the stars of these things and the main characters pushing the story along, which is all very fine and well, I think there's also room for the individuals within these worlds, such as, you know, you could have uh, in one of them, they showed a, a mother and her mutant son, and she had to run away from their settlement because he was a mutant and he would have polluted the bloodline and she wanted to save her son. So there'll be something along those lines you could expand on. Sounds very cool. Yeah, so that'll be you know something you could sort of chew over and have mm. a bit think about writing. I think. I mean, that's just my interest, for instance. But I mean, I'm sure plenty of people have got interest in things like you know all the other stuff on there. It's it's really good. Have a look. It's, I would I would recommend anyone to have a look at this and see what they think about doing. Kindle Worlds, well worth checking out. So I think really then our theme for the news today has been about starting out, hasn't it? A little bit about starting fiction, having a go, finding finding things that can kind of start you off. And certainly I think Kindle Worlds is a you know a great place that, that might be the place that, that works it for you. Mm. Okay, we're going to head out to an advert break and join us afterwards and we'll go to John's book choice. Greetings, Commanders! Ambassador Crash here, and you're listening to Lave Radio, the hottest show this side of Dizzo. Join us live every Tuesday at 8.30pm BST for the latest news on Elite Dangerous and the fantastic community behind it. You can also chat to me live every Friday at 8pm BST on the official community Twitch stream, Crash Landing, Lave Radio, 
crash-tested and approved since the year 3200. Is your life like this? Take that, evil pirate scum! Pew, 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 pew! It could be like this. Drive charging. fiction and fantasy festival which celebrates creativity and is inspired by the computer game elite. Join us for board gaming, LARP, cosplay, LAN, tabletop roleplay, workshops, special guests and of course Elite Dangerous. LaveCon 2015 is being held on the 11th and 12th of July just outside Northampton, England. Book your tickets at laveradio.com. we're back okay then john so what have you got for us this week well you know how we normally do these post-apocalyptic things well i know how you normally do these (laughs) post-apocalyptic things yeah Yeah. well i was looking for some sort of hard sci-fi this time around i was looking for spaceships and civilization stuff so um i made the classic mistake of judging the book by its cover (laughs) (laughs) okay so there was this uh book on amazon it's called terms of enlistment and it's by marco clues and the cover is great because it's got a picture of a a spaceship there's a crowd of people looking at it it's in some sort of cityscape you know it looks like your typical sort of sci-fi sort of setting so i thought yeah let's have a go at that click buy download and this is what it's about The year is 2108, and the North American Commonwealth is bursting at the seams. For welfare rats like Andrew Grayson, there are two ways out of the crime-ridden and filthy welfare tenements where you're restricted to 2,000 calories of badly-flavoured soy every day. You can hope to win the lottery and draw a ticket on a colony ship settling off-world, or you can join the service. With the colony lottery a pipe dream, Andrew chooses to enlist in the armed forces for a shot at real food, a retirement bonus, and maybe a ticket off Earth. As he starts a career of supposed privilege, he soon learns that good food and decent health care come at a steep price, and that a settled galaxy holds far greater dangers than the military bureaucrats or gangs that rule the slums. So there we go, that's what it's about. So it's kind of like dystopian... You know, it's got the, the people who have food versus the people who don't, the military might against the oppressed masses, that sort of thing. The interesting thing about this is this is the first book of the Frontline series. It is, yeah. So are you aware that Marco Clues's second book of the Frontline series was nominated for a Hugo this year? I wasn't, no. It was on the Rabid Puppies nomination. List. Was it really? Yes. Okay, so... 
Well, I actually quite enjoyed it. Whilst I've been reading it, the descriptions have been sufficient. There's not a lot of description, actually, in all fairness. It seems to be, it's all done from the first person narrative. So, so, so you see that, that viewpoint there. But yeah, it just seems to be there's lots of action sequences. Uh -huh. It literally is action sequences all the way through. And it just seems to be you've got a couple of characters in there that you a little bit stereotypical, but, but it is actually really, really good. Yeah, sure. To Marco's credit, I'll make it totally plain. When he discovered he was on the list, yeah. he withdrew his nomination. So he basically, his words here, and I've got his website and his statement about it, I cannot in good conscience accept an award nomination that I feel I may not have earned solely with the quality of the nominated work. I think that's that's a very honourable statement. He's made a very clear statement about how he feels his work should be judged. And, you know, and I think that's all good credit to him. So you would categorise this maybe as military science fiction? Military science fiction, yeah. Mm -hmm. That's what okay. you would do with that. I mean, well, it is, that's essentially what it is. So, but yeah, it, it's pretty good all the way through. There's, a, it's a page turner. You, you, you want to know what's happening next. Uh, there are some interesting things in there. It made me think of the saying, even though there's so much change, things remain the same, because it just seemed that uh, stories about massive populations and and everything else always has this thing about lack of food. And we always have the military coming to control them and, and stuff like this. But he made it sound quite good and quite believable. As it's the start of a series, and I understand that the series does start to go further out into space, and there are sort of colony planets out there, then, you know, and there are aliens, then I'll look forward to, to getting into that in book two because I want to read this series. It is really, really quite enjoyable. You yeah. see, when you said at the start that you were seduced by the cover, I was mm -hmm. kind of thinking this was a setup for you to then tell me how bad the book was. And actually, really? you're going the other way entirely. Yeah, I mean, what I was trying <laughs> to say there was it, it's not really about the spaceship. I thought, yeah, for whatever reason, I just looked at it and thought, yeah, that's good. It was probably because I had you know, a bottle of red wine handy or something, you know, and that was it, click, boom, done. But it was just one of those things I thought, yeah, I, I want to have a little bit more of an interstellar experience with science fiction. Mm -hmm. And then I end up with this military science fiction, but really enjoyed it anyway. Okay. Is there a section you want to read? So this is a section around about halfway through the book. The shooter on the roof is a woman. She's dressed in baggy and shapeless clothes, but I can clearly see her long hair and her feminine features underneath the bill of the cap she's wearing. She's down on one knee right by the edge of the roof, and she's holding a rifle with a wooden stock. As I watch, she works a lever at the bottom of her rifle to load another round into the chamber. She performs the motion without taking the weapon off her shoulder, and her eyes never waver from the sights. I stare at her. This woman that looks like a dozen I've known back home, just a hood rat in two big clothes, and I want to wave her off, shout a warning, or both, or anything, to keep her from shooting at me, so I won't have to shoot her in turn. Then she pulls the trigger on her rifle. The bullet hits me right above the eyebrow on the ridge that forms the upper edge of the face shield. It feels like being beamed with a well-thrown fastball. I stumble backwards and fall on my ass. My helmet display blanks out momentarily from the shock of the impact. This was a killing shot that just barely missed. She shot at my armour to get my attention and made me turn around, and the second shot was aimed right at my visor, the weakest point of my battle armour. My senses restore my low-light vision just in time for me to see the woman on the roof complete another stroke of the loading lever on that antique rifle of hers. 
My right hand is still wrapped round the grip of Hansen's rifle, and unlike my opponent, I don't have to bring my rifle up to my field of vision to aim it. We pull our triggers at the same time. Her bullet cracks into my visor, right at the seam between the clear face shield and the reinforced ballistic shell of the outer helmet. It's another near miss, but an improvement over the last one. I feel a sharp jab of pain right underneath my left eye that radiates out to my ear as if someone had sliced the side of my head with a sharp knife. My rifle sends not just one, but half a dozen rounds in return. They hit the woman on the roof, dead centre in the chest, the perfect aim of a computer. She doesn't cry out a flinch. Instead, she just falls forward, and there's nothing between her and the street below to break her fall. Okay. Mm. There we are. Grim. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I mean, it's a little bit remote, but I guess that's part of the idea of fighting a battle in, you know, in yeah. armor. And actually, I've fought a battle in armor. That's a story for another podcast. But there is one of those things about it that it does give you this sort of slightly detached perspective. And I guess, you know, in science fiction armor with all the heads up display and everything else, it, it would be a little bit removed in terms of how you write combat. It does seem, it seems detached, I think is, is quite an interesting way of looking at it. I kind of guess that later on we perhaps get a bit more feeling. So, I mean, I, I almost feel a sort of, sort of sense, sense of a, a, a little bit apologetic for that because that's probably not one of the best passages. There are some bits in it where he's thinking to himself how he's got there, how he's going to get out of it. But the plot does meander a little bit and it does sort of take a little bit of time to develop. Some science fiction writers, you know, one of the qualities of science fiction writing can be about the technicality, you know, the mechanisms, the procedurals, rather than necessarily about characters. Um, and that is one of the things that science fiction writing does, because to be honest, audiences that are interested in science fiction quite a lot of the time are also interested in the idea of futuristic technology. Yeah, you know, yeah. so so there is a, a bit of a, a sort of an aim towards that kind of interest. And some writers push into that more than others do i think i would say just from the section that you've read i would say that there is a a tendency towards that kind of mechanical depiction and it's not that it's not appropriate because if you think about it the character is in a battle suit fighting a war like a robot yeah so like a computer you know in that kind of remote element and there is a detachment of that. And if you start bringing the feels in too quickly, start having a character who is fighting in that way and then starts to care, you know, et cetera, et cetera, a bit too much for the, you know, the people that they are fighting and so on and so forth, then you're kind of giving away your trick mm -hmm. too fast. Yeah. So actually setting it up to begin with that way might be the way in which the writer's elected to go. And, um, it's certainly detailed. You know, you're getting an awful lot of detail there about the yeah. Uh, I mean, it, it just it, it, there seems to be a, a certain air of quality around it. You don't feel as if it's rushed in any way. You don't uh -huh. feel as if they're a bit skimped you know, or left out or you know. It it does yeah. it does feel like he's um, there's a certain quality there, despite the bad puppy, sad puppy thing that's gone on. You know, it's a shame that he didn't get that award. Yeah, I think as well, that's a very difficult issue in that you don't want writers to be tarnished yeah. by the fact that they ended up on a list that they probably didn't have any, I know, certainly with No with control Mario, over. He had yeah. no control over and he had no idea he was on it yeah. until he discovered until he was on it. it. Yeah. 
So, you know, that's a real, real shame. And you don't want to see him tarnished by that. You want to you want people to appreciate his work for what it is. And certainly you pick this up. You've enjoyed it. That kind of says it all, doesn't it, really? It does, it's really. Obviously there's something, yeah. something yeah. in there that's worth reading. So hopefully yeah. listeners do go check him out. So where can we find it? You can find this, of course, on Amazon. And uh, it's two forty nine for the Kindle. And there are other versions available, and I can't find them because I've only got the Kindle one up. Why is that? You can find it on paperback for seven sixty four, although it is available from other sellers for five twenty five. You can find the audio download unabridged is free with your Audible trial. So if you chose to to take Audible, uh, and the MP three CD is available for seven fifty five. Or from other resellers, three forty nine. Thank you for reading that page for me. That was right in front of me, and I couldn't see. <laughs> okay, so we're going to go to an advert break, and we'll be right back, and we'll have my book choice. It was a dark and stormy night in space. Scratch that. How can you have storms in space? There's no atmosphere, precipitation, or strange men dancing on pavements. The Force, dude. Dark side. Word. Been tracking Dirk, Katie, Starbuck through six systems. Caprica, Tatooine, Hoth, Zeonse, Listi, and now Deso. The slippery man-girl was running hot in a colonial two-man triple engine. But no fancy wing-waggle is going to lose me. I don't back out when the force is involved. I bet my midichlorian money juice this sucker stole my mojo. And being Darth Baby and all redskin horny, I don't dig charity. Do you get me? The Cobra engine whined as we accelerated on the journey. I've pulled a lot of hard genes, but the Cobra sure beats Vader's eyeball jockey. My stomach staples were still itching from Obi-Wan's paper cut, but ain't no flesh wound gonna slow me. Darth, baby. Eyes locked on, looking at the target. Ain't no pyramid playing junkie gonna one-up them all. Been tipped off by the beastie from Leastie with the Colonials packing, but he ain't seen no show pony dance the two-stick saber. Got my artificial grav on full to keep right side, dark side, and we're chasing it out. Little laser to fry the Colonial's wings. I like my chicken hot. She's, no, he's looping in the chunder lane and then goes all Skywalker on my six. I pull stick hard, sweat addling my mind. Like some crotch grip rap star and bank on the seven. But Benedict, no, Starbucks got the wet on and he stays on the Darth's tail. So I bitch out the missile and force up. It flips and lights on the Buckmeister. Bank, roll, while he, she, well, deals and then... Greetings Commanders, Second Technician Fozzer Forrester here. If you'd like to catch the crew of the Orange Sidewinder, we broadcast live every Tuesday at 8.30pm BST. Fly safe, and if you can't do that, fly dangerous. Is your life and we're back. Alright, so I've got a book choice for you that's a little bit different to yours, I think. John? So what have you picked this time? I've picked 
The Quantum Thief by Hanu Rajanami. And I know Hanu. I have spoken to Hanu a couple of times at different events. He's a lovely guy. This is his first book that was published. The, the series is now three books. So you've got The Quantum Thief, The Fractal Prince, and The Causal Angel. And I'd got The Quantum Thief a little while ago after I'd met Hanu and thought, you know, I want to read his, his stuff. So I bought it. And I left it in the pile thinking, you know, I'd need to do all the things I'm reviewing at the moment. And then I'll get to that. And I got to it. And yes, it's very interesting. So I'm going to break with tradition here. Oh, no, you can't Uh, do that. I am going to break with tradition. So I'm going to read you the blurb and then I'm going to read you an excerpt. And then we're going to talk about it. The Quantum Thief is a dazzling hard science fiction novel set in the solar system of the far future. A heist novel peopled by bizarre post-humans but powered by very human motives of betrayal, revenge and jealousy. It's a stunning debut. Jean Le Flambeur is a post-human criminal, mind burglar, confidence artist and trickster. His origins are shrouded in mystery but his exploits are known throughout the heteriarchy. From breaking into the vast Zeus brains of the inner system to stealing their thoughts to stealing rare earth antiques from the aristocrats of the moving cities of Mars. So yeah, here we go. Chapter 1. The Thief and the Prisoner's Dilemma. As always before the war mind and I shoot each other, I try to make small talk. Prisoners are always the same, don't you think? I don't even know if it can hear me. It has no visible auditory organs, just eyes. Human eyes. Hundreds of them, in the ends of stalks that radiate from its body like some exotic fruit. It hovers on the other side of the glowing line that separates our cells. The huge silver colt would look ridiculous in the grip of its twig-like manipulator arms if it hadn't already shot me with it 14,000 times. Prisoners are like airports used to be on Earth. No one wants to be here. No one really lives here. We're just passing through. Today the prison walls are glass. There is a sun far above, almost like the real one, but it's not quite right. Paler. Millions of glass-walled, glass-floored ceilings stretch to infinity around me. The light filters in through the transparent surfaces and makes rainbow colours on the floor. Apart from them, my cell is bare and so am I, birth naked except for the gun. Sometimes when you win, they let you change the little things. The war mind has been successful. It has zero-g flowers floating in its cell, red and purple and green bulbs growing out of bubbles of water like a cartoon version of itself. Narcissistic bastard. If we had toilets, the doors would open inwards. Nothing ever changes. All right, so I'm starting to run out of material. The war mind raises its weapon slowly. A ripple passes through its eye stalks. I wish it had a face. The stare of its moist forest of orbs is unnerving. Never mind, it's going to work this time. I tilt the gun upwards slightly, my body language and wrist movement suggesting the motion I would make if I was going to put up my gun. My every muscle screams, Cooperation, come on, fall for it. Honest, this time we're going to be friends. A fiery wink, the black pupil of its gun flashing. My trigger finger jerks. There are two thunderclaps and a bullet in my head. Wow, so the war mind, it looks like a brain with fuzzy little tentacles coming out, doesn't it? It is festooned (laughs) with weirdness, okay? If you've read, there is a quote on the cover. It says, this is from Charles Stross. Hard to admit, but I think he's better at this stuff than I am now. Charles Stross is a a well-known science fiction writer. Hanu's book, you really struggle to keep up with him. 
because he is an incredibly intelligent man and you can see it in all of the writing. You kind of find yourself having to almost take a step back from reading it, uh, you know, as intensely as it demands and almost admiring it. You almost end up reading it as almost an admiration rather than trying to picture everything. Because if you try and picture everything, it kind of drives you nuts. I'd say it's a bit of a cross between William Gibson's Neuromancer mm. and Harry Harrison's The Stainless Steel Rat. I see both of those as influences here. We have wow, this cocksure. Really? Yeah, we have this cocksure criminal, mm-hmm. which kind of reminds you of Jim DeGris yeah. from Harry Harrison. And then you have this incredibly conceptual world where there are all these amazing things about the way in which they work and Pan is using these words that you kind of start to understand what he means but don't completely understand what he means necessarily. He uses those as verbs. The nouns you get, you know, you start to understand who people are but when they start applying particular technical terms of this far distant quantum future um, and the way in which they invade each other's brains, copy memories, white memories, insert new memories, you know, change their, their physical appearance, etc., etc. It's definitely high science fiction. So I found this a read that wasn't necessarily a, a book that I would go to for a, a sort of quiet, <laughs> a quiet read, a quiet sort of relax. It certainly was a read that needed my attention, needed me to pay attention. And getting towards the how the how the plot works itself out because it's a, a quite a complex detective novel where the main character has intentionally wiped out elements of his own mind so that he can complete the task. Mm. So, <laughs> so a little bit like Total Recall in that regard, but without Arnie and without any of the easier references to sort of understand the society, if you see what I mean. Yeah. So the setting then at least it starts off, it starts off in this prison. So do you know much about this prison? It seems that they've been taught a lesson in this prison. Yeah, he's, he's in here. There are many, many, many copies of him. They are attempting to re-educate him in some way, and they are using these scenarios to try and get him to, uh, at least on the outside, that's what it seems to be, mm-hmm. to try and get it you know, to correct his behaviour. They're not the straightforward kind of... It's not done in a straightforward way. It's not how you would expect that kind of premise to go. In that you would expect that premise to be putting the the character in situations and asking them to behave nicely. You know, realistic situations, asking them to behave nicely. No. We go a level or two below that. And we go straight to the psychological choices and competitive instincts of the character and what we do is we start teasing at those which is where this war mind confrontation gunslinging duel sort of kicks us off effectively he's in that situation because he knows what the corrective behavior is that they are asking for him to do but he also knows that because they're in his head if he just pays lip service to it that doesn't work either so if you see what I mean, it's 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 yeah. very very complex in that regard. And then you know we move off and uh, we go to to some of the other locations. There are a couple of other characters who are in different circumstances and they sort of tie in. You don't immediately see where the connection's going to be, but it does gradually present itself. 
And the book, it's the first of a series, but it finishes on a, a fairly, fairly good resolution of you knowing what they've got up to. And then further from that, you then move off to, you know, to what they're going to do next. And you can kind of see where they've changed society. You can see where the aftermath, you know, the fractal prints will pick up to, to kind of cover the aftermath. So, yeah, it's, it, it's a book that just impresses you with the intelligence of the page. You do marvel at how somebody can imagine this. I couldn't write this. I couldn't imagine it. I couldn't, I couldn't imagine a future that is like this. But I guess at the same time, you know, it does make you think that a lot of the time when we're reading science fiction and we're trying to imagine futures, we are relating them to what we understand now. Mm. And actually, the people who we are imagining in these far futures would possibly have a very, very different understanding of the world in which they live. And that's kind of what you get with this. Yeah. I mean, because we've been talking in the past about the extrapolation of where we are today, you know, yeah. to, to get to the near future piece. But sometimes you've got to make that leap, haven't you? And just get yourself far removed from that to actually come up with something as fantastical as what this appears to be in Quantum Thief. Yeah, it's a long way into the future. Yeah. And if you if you think maybe some of the 1950s authors, 1960s authors who were looking a long way into the future and imagining a sort of interstellar society. The society they imagine is fairly similar to our society, just on lots of different worlds with hyperdrive and a few other bits and pieces. You know, to take yeah. an example of that, you know, you can look at what I've written. You could look at Labour Revolution. Labour Revolution is, it's in it's that a- tradition. It's in that kind of fairly safe imagined future. Whereas this... You know, this is stuff where someone has tried to get into the head of something that, you know, is is wholly speculative in the nature of the human condition and still have these people as being, you know, having human emotions and human responses. But they have all these all these other things, you know, the 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 contents of your own mind is no longer sacred. People can steal your memories, rewrite your memories, change your memories and alter fundamentally alter everything about the existence that you're in, you know, because of the ways in which this stuff all works. It's incredibly intelligent. And this is the beginning of a series as well, isn't it? Yeah, there's three books. I'm doing a review for SF Book of the third book in the series, which is okay. uh, The Causal Angel. When I get to that, I will be uh, checking that up onto uh, to SF Books. That will be in the next few weeks. But uh, this is the first one. It's If you're going to read this, you need to realize what you're going to read. Yeah. You know, this isn't a book for the faint-hearted. This is, this is a <laughs> I'm just looking at some of the reviews. Yeah. This is a challenging science fiction book. And I think it's something that you need to accept that that's what it is. Yeah, because uh, some, some of these have... Uh, there's a lot of people who've, who've basically given it absolutely racing reviews and there are other people who of course are touching on uh, what you were mentioning where sometimes if you don't it's it's hard to imagine some elements that he's describing so some people are obviously having difficulty with that but um yeah but uh, the majority the vast majority are saying it's brilliant there is a literary group of texts in science fiction this would be in that literary group because it, you know, it really does do that kind of, and it, mm-hmm. it works very, very hard to give you this incredibly intelligent, but also difficult to penetrate environment. And actually when, when Gibson was first read, when people first read Neuromancer, 
people struggled with the fact that he just used terminology that they didn't understand. Yeah, he was using concepts related to hacking and related to computer uh, networks that most people didn't understand, didn't know about. And some of those concepts have become you know, general parlance today. But he was just using it, you know, and just, just going through it and, and talking about how these networks worked and how you could talk to an AI inside the computer network and this, that and the other. And it was sort of a tour de force and it really sort of set things. I'm not sure that The Quantum Thief does that in itself, not because it's not tour de force in the way in which it works, but because you've had Gibson before this. You've maybe had some of Charles Stross before this. You've had other writers who have created a bit of a bubble of, of this kind of science fiction. But this, it's probably on the apex of that. You know, you have to want to marvel at a text and you have to, if you try and read it as something that you can picture, you know, specifically picture, I, I think you you struggle. And to be fair, I struggle with specifically picturing things that are a bit too high concept anyway. So I, I recognize as a as a reader, I can I can struggle with this. So I think here, this is a text that, you know, if you want to read it, it is a text to, you know, to marvel at. It is a text to appreciate not necessarily going to be a relaxing read it is more going to be a challenging read for you so yeah you know if it's if it's something you you know that interests you if you want to see where this particular because it's a progressive set of stories that you you know you've got being produced by a, some very intelligent writers if you want to see where one of them is read hanu you know it really does sort of epitomize this kind of writing Brilliant. Okay, cool. So whereabouts can you get this one from? Okay, so on Amazon you can get this. The Kindle edition is five ninety nine. The hardcover is available used from four eighty two. The paperback is currently available from seven pounds nineteen. It is available from resellers new from one pound ninety and available and used from a penny. So um, so yeah, so very accessible, very easy to, to get hold of as the book very challenging as a read once you've got it the sequels are available on amazon as well they've actually got them the wrong way around the fractal prince is book two and the causal angel is book three but you can get them you know in all editions they are all available now super well thank you very much okay so that's it for another episode of data slate this is our 12th episode so as one of the sister shows to lave radio at this point we overtake conclave which only has 11 episodes in the chart so data slate racing ahead if you'd like to get in touch with the show then you can email info at laveradio.com you can get hold of us on facebook facebook slash lave radio at lave radio on twitter or you can join the skype chat channel by adding fozza 101 to your skype contacts you can also join the teamspeak server where commanders come to hang out and chat that's laveradio.teamspeak3.com with LaveCon fast approaching, please do go check out the pages on the Lave Radio site. The activities have now been posted. There are one or two tweaks going up, but there is a provisional list of everything that's going on over the weekend. So this is being held at the Sedgebrook Hall Hotel in Northamptonshire, and it's on the 11th and 12th of July. You'll see myself. You'll see John. Well, you, you might see John amid the smoke and battle <laughs> damage of the Artemis Bridge, and you might catch me running around in between all the different activities that I'm, I'm running over the weekend. We're hoping you can join us there. It'd be great fun. Be able to talk a little bit about books, talk a little bit about computer games uh, and other stuff all over a pint, you know? We're, we're in a oh, hotel. Brilliant. We've got 
lovely lovely surroundings so yeah you know we get a comfy chair and sit and have a chill out and really enjoy science fiction fantasy and all things related to them so until next time watch out for those dystopian societies and those world-ending apocalypti take care good night commanders bye